Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, and today I have a very interesting guest. Her name is Dr. Lynn Steinberg. Dr. Steinberg works with families, couples, groups, and individuals. She has specialized in working with children and adults abused as children for more than 40 years. She worked in the courts as an expert on sexual abuse with children, adults, and in the workplace. Her interest and background grew naturally to embrace the psychological abuse of parental alienation, which she has specialized in for the last 10 years. Years. This includes false accusations of sexual abuse. She offers a four-day intensive family reunification program for alienated parents and their alienated children. It takes place in Los Angeles. She's also an expert witness in parental alienation in the children's court and the family court. She can also testify to the treatment of members of alienated family and assist with court appearances. Dr. Steinberg is a trained mediator and has mediated for the Superior Court. And I welcome you, uh, Dr. Steinberg, because you also wrote a book called You're Not Crazy, Overcoming Parent-Child Alienation. So we have a lot to talk about because I want to know how you started with this book. Welcome. Thank you, Marianne. Well, um, about 10 years ago, I recognized that I was working with families and the children were announcing that they were rejecting a parent. And when I looked into it, I just couldn't figure out why, why they were doing it. I'd ask the kids and say, you know, why are you rejecting this parent? I don't understand. And they never gave a good reason. And I remembered that I had learned something in my PhD program. So I went back and researched it and I found um, actually Ludwig Lowenstein, he was out of the UK and he had written extensively about it. And he um, re reminded everybody that Richard Gardner was also working on parental alienation at the same time. And interestingly enough, they were both so condemned by the public. It was unbelievable. They both had terrible accusations against them. So I learned more and more about alienation. And I wrote, I got lots of calls from people wanting to know what they should do. And when I first got the calls, I didn't really know exactly what could be done, but I started looking into it. And I had been an expert witness in both sexual abuse and false accusations of sexual abuse. I evaluated um, those alleged accusations and testified for the court. So. I thought that doing something like that in parental alienation would be the answer. So I learned a lot in a very short time. And then I discovered I was answering the same questions for everybody. So I decided to write them in a book. I had been thinking about it for a while. And then when COVID came, I thought this is the perfect time. <laughs> so I sat down and I wrote, um, you're not crazy overcoming parent-child alienation and what the book entails is an overview of parental alienation and all the different aspects 
in terms of the questions that I was answering. So parents think when they first start dealing with it, as I'm sure you know, since you wrote a whole book on it, mm -hmm. um, that they're crazy. They can't understand why their children are alienating them, rejecting them, refusing to see them. And they feel very crazy about it, especially when they go into court or they have to deal with CPS. Um, and they're completely unprepared to deal with all these aspects and, and they answer questions wrongly. And so many times they're seen as the crazy one by lawyers, mm -hmm. by courts, but in actual fact, they're just completely traumatized by what's going on. And when people are traumatized, they can't behave and answer questions in the same way if, as if when they are cool, calm, and collected as the alienator usually is because mm -hmm. they have planned this out. And alienated parents are broadsided by the whole thing. So they don't make the best witnesses in court and they, don't, they can't find lawyers who could adequately represent them. Mm -hmm. And so I started to teach people how to do that. And because, of course, most people don't have money to hire a lawyer and pay, you know, $150,000 and up to represent them and may not even know about parental alienation and um, get misrepresented and mm -hmm. then owe all this money. And in fact, I just found out about a father who sued his former attorneys and he was awarded $5 million, which excellent. I'll send you the information on that. Oh, that's um, excellent. Yes, I'm happy to see that. So um, that's why I wrote the book. I wrote it in three months because it was all in my head in terms of how I had been answering questions for people and how to deal with the court system, and also news on legislation and what books are available through Parent Alienation Study Group. So that's how I put the book together. Mm -hmm. So what was your next question, or what was the end of that question? Well, you know, when a parent goes to pick a lawyer for you know, this going into court, family court, these lawyers, you know, some of them say, oh, yeah, I already know about parental alienation. Oh, yes. But they don't do anything about it when the opposing side, again, shoots out a silver bullet of calling the other parent emotionally abusive or mentally ill. And then the opposing attorney will all actually call out parental alienation when that's not even happening. Mm -hmm. And that other attorney just sits there and says we're going to take the high road which backfires <laughs> on the parent the target parent exactly mm -hmm. yes i mean the actually i think that the targeted parent is already taking the high road mm -hmm. which is not in their best interest i always tell parents don't mm -hmm. offer these people sympathy because they don't deserve your sympathy. You know, concentrate on what you need, which is to see your children. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, when I first started, lawyers told me that I was um, peddling snake oil. <laughs> that was one of the things they told me. But, you know, they hung up on me. And now they call me to consult with me along the way. And one of the things that I advise people to do, because when you hire a lawyer, you're actually the consumer. So don't put up with any of this nonsense about, yes, I know about parental alienation, and this is how we'll handle your suit. No, you have to ask questions like, how do you know about parental alienation? Could you give me symptoms of parental alienation? What has to happen in a case to prove that there is parental alienation? And in my book, I have probably about 12 ways you can ask a lawyer and a therapist, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to find out if they really know about parental alienation. Like, did they go to a course? Did they read something? If so, you know, there's not that many symposiums around that you can learn about parental alienation. Mm -hmm. If they went to a course, I would recommend them. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the the Bar Association, just as an aside, they funded the book Children Held Hostage. Mm-hmm. And so the Bar Association knows all about parental alienation. That doesn't mean that lawyers know anything about parental alienation. And it's kind of a calling card these days because you know, they get a lot more clients who say that they know about, when they say they know about parental alienation. Same with therapists. So you have to do your due diligence and interview people um, so that you're not just going to them and falling apart. Be in control of your court case and ask advice from experts. In my book, I tell you how to do that. And I also tell you how to go pro per. I think Mm -hmm. you may call it something else where you are, right? Well, we call it pro se, pro per. Yeah, a parent can use either or. And that's what you did. You represented yourself in court. Mm -hmm. Very admirably, I have to say. I was very... (laughs) impressed with the way you did that and I have worked with a lot of people who have done it and I help them you know in the background when they can't afford to have someone like me as an expert witness and still pay a lawyer and um, have all those expenses Mm -hmm. so in my book I tried to teach parents how to organize their thoughts how to interview the professionals that are going to help on their case. If they have a lawyer they trust, how do you get consultation? Because lawyers can't do business outside their state. Mm -hmm. But somebody who really knows parental alienation can advise a lawyer on what to do next. Mm -hmm. And experts can do that because they've been involved with so many cases and given so much expert advice that they can really help lawyers. That's what I do a lot now is that I consult with lawyers and strategize with lawyers about what to do next. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and it's hard because sometimes you do have a lawyer that knows that this is what's going to happen. They'll say, you know, they, this, this other parent wants you out of the kid's life. Right. And you're thinking, okay, uh, then, then quickly you start learning what and how parental alienation evolves. But you really don't know the effect that's going to have on your child. Yes. Most parents describe how the alienation started way before they left the marriage. Mm -hmm. um, and at first it's kind of subtle, you know, like, isn't mom silly? Or that's so ridiculous that dad said that. Or um, you don't have to listen to dad. I'll load the dishwasher. You just go sit down. Mm -hmm. You know, subtle kind of undermining of right. the targeted parents. And so it's already set in place. So it's pretty easy to convince the children that the culmination is that the parents are going to get divorced. And now you don't have to deal with your mom or your dad at all. Aren't we lucky? Mm -hmm. you know, so it sets the parents up even before they separate. You know, what type of parent would you say are we dealing with? Because when you get into court, you know, the judge will order a psychological eval on a parent. And um, it, I guess it depends on who the judge favors. What, oh, what yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just went through a case that the, the little girl had been sexually abused by her father. And the judge and the abuser's lawyer said that she was not and they they said that i was a hack that i wasn't credible <laughs> unbelievable stuff and i said to them how is it that lawyers and judges get to decide you've only seen this child once and i've seen her for a whole year so you know that i think that we have to remedy the situation that judges and lawyers decide on the fate of children and their parents. Mm -hmm. It's just awful, an awful situation. So lawyers have to be trained as well. What do you, what do you think of these attorneys that these target parents are up against that know about parental alienation? And they may be doing their job as what they're hired to do by the other parent, but isn't there some ethical uh, training they should be following when you they go think so, along. right <laughs> yeah they're going along with parental alienation yeah. the feeding, which is you know you're going into uh, you know these areas of emotional child abuse right and technically these opposing attorneys that are going after this target parent they are themselves child abusers in my opinion yes i agree i agree um you asked the question like what type of personality is someone who's an alienator and they would probably hire a lawyer who's the, the same type. Mm -hmm. um, most of the time I, I have experienced alienating parents to be very narcissistic and grandiose and can be very charming unless you put them on the offensive and then they break down and they act out in court. Mm -hmm. And so then at that point, the judge gets to see who they are 
actually in actuality. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, in my book, I describe the continuum of personality disorders and there's borderline at one end of the continuum, narcissism, sociopathy, and then psychotic individuals. Mm -hmm. And psychosis is more prevalent than one would think, because as you probably know, Marianne, there's a lot of murder and suicide that is in parental alienation more often than people think. And they hear it on the news, but they don't identify it as parental alienation. So usually what happens is the alienator will kill the other parent or and kill the child so the other parent can't have them because the alienator's main motive is to have revenge on the targeted parent. And they will start at nothing because they're a narcissist and you've removed their main source of sustenance, which is you. And so they are going to withhold the children to punish you. And if things get out of control, if there isn't somebody who can predict that this person is lethal and violent, then they will go ahead and kill that child and the other parents. And that happens I don't even know how many times a year, but I know of situations at least 10 times a year. Mm -hmm. And also there's a very high suicide rate um, amongst children themselves Mm -hmm. and alienated parents, of course, um, Mm -hmm. which is just horrendous. Mm -hmm. I think also with the suicides with the parents, you know, I, in my opinion, I think there's a lot of mothers that are attempting suicide, but they are not successful. We're not hearing about those figures. Right. Uh, I mean, fathers are more lethal. mm -hmm. And so um, the statistics are higher with fathers than with mothers. But you're right. I mean, mothers probably would take pills or Mm -hmm. do something like that. Not as lethal as shooting themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, then they're not successful and they come out of that and then, you know, they just continue to suffer knowing that their child is with an abuser. Yes. Now, we've got also problems in the courts where mothers are alleging domestic violence and it is happening. We'll say, we'll say in some cases it is happening. Um, and the judge will just take that child away from her and give that kid to the abuser well that happens with fathers as well right not correct fathers correct um i don't think there are gender differences in mm-hmm. terms i think that it has to do with a personality disorder and the desire for revenge so um up until recently i think we've all seen alienated parents or targeted parents lose their cases and the judge has believed the alienating parent's story which is oh my children are afraid of this parent this parent is abusive not me 
Um, I've never abused anybody, and they're very convincing because the alienated parent is probably angry in the courtroom and maybe falling apart, and the judge doesn't want to deal with that parent. So often, so often, it happens that way, and it's really tragic. And I, we're hoping to be able to train judges as well, mm-hmm. not only lawyers, but also therapists and social workers, DPS workers, you know, they're the mm-hmm. epitome mm-hmm. of untrained people with too much power to take away children and give them to the parent that they favor, not based on any psychology or any clinical decision. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these CPS caseworkers, some of these parents call them social workers. And in most cases, they're just caseworkers with a degree in, we'll say, child development. And they just don't go and bother and get a master's and educate themselves. They just right. don't so do sometimes it. Sometimes they don't even have bachelor degrees. They're called case social workers. Mm-hmm. And they have had rudimentary training. And then they're put in the position of being able to remove children or place them with the abuser. And they even have evidence of the alienator or the abuser of being in jail, of being sociopathic with the child, Mm -hmm. teaching the child to lie, steal, abuse. And even in the face of all that evidence, they have the power to remove a child or not allow the other parent to see that child mm-hmm. based on who they like the best, mm-hmm. who treats them the best. Right. And unfortunately, you know, um, I'm trying to think, I don't think in the 50 years I've been practicing, I've ever had a case where I have objected to what they are deciding that they actually listen to me. They don't. They just get their power posse together and they eliminate me from the case. So it's, it's something has to change with that system. I think it's the most abusive system, the most abusive organization in the whole of America. Maybe the other places in the world as well, but definitely the United States. Oh, I, I agree. I feel they just should be abolished. Yes. And, and the problem that I've seen and I've heard from other parents that talk to me, you know, these CPS caseworkers are on the stand perjuring themselves left oh, yeah. and right. And yeah. they're doing one-sided interviews just with the um, alienating parent. Yes. Yes, they don't even do an interview, or I've had many occasions where they've interviewed the alienated parents on their way to court. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's this brief interview with the alienated parent mm-hmm. as part of the document. It's atrocious. They lie. They do anything to maintain that amount of power, and I do think it's a situation of power. Because if you go against them, they mobilize. They get their supervisor. They go to court on an ex parte. They put 
the case into children's court instead of family courts. It's a disaster. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they make decisions based on what the social worker says, not based on what an expert will say. Why do you think, now, because I was warned, I was warned and I was told, whatever that caseworker says, the judge is just going to go along with it. Now, why can't this judge think for themselves? Well, that brings me to an interesting, <laughs> ob- not observation, but amount of knowledge. I recently um, got a videotape where 13 judges in Missouri were accused. Have you seen this? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's a videotape on Zoom of these judges talking about how they can open an account which would not come to light and incriminate them of donations that they would get through the lawyer from the alienating parent to make a decision in their favor. And they talk about um, recruiting more attorneys so that they could get more payoffs. And this video was leaked, and all of the 13 judges were accused. Mm-hmm. I think that that happens in every county, state, in the whole of the United States. And at first I thought, oh, that can't be. There couldn't be that amount of corruption. Mm. Well, not only in family court and children's court do they put judges who, like in Los Angeles, they're from the entertainment industry Mm -hmm. or they've been involved in technology and they become the judges in the family courts. So, and even a judge who's been a judge in children's court, they don't know what they're doing either. Mm -hmm. And they think they do just because they've put their time in in family court. And I think the whole of the United States knows about Judge Judy, right? Yeah. She's on YouTube um, saying that family judges are basically idiots. And they they cut their teeth on being a judge in family court. Mm -hmm. So you're dealing with the most incompetent of the incompetent when you're in court. I agree. She also called family court the dumping ground for morons. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah, she, she uh, got, nailed that on the head completely yes. true. I mean, when you yeah. have judges, say, uh, accepting bribes just to push oh, yeah. a case through and yeah. meeting at a club with the opposing attorney and other people trying to shut down a case for the next morning on the and target guardians at Leiden, mm-hmm. you know, children's lawyers just doing whatever they like and not even listening to the children or listening to the other parent or even talking to the other parent. Yes, it's unbelievable. I think that parental alienation does not belong in the courts. Mm -hmm. I think that, which brings me to the legislation we're trying to get through, I think that trained professionals like psychologists or psychiatrists or even lawyers should be in charge of hearing these cases and 
being trained in parental alienation so that they can make an educated decision about what's going on. Because once you read the documents, I do this as an expert witness, it's very clear what's going on. You're not fooled by an alienator. Mm -hmm. So I think that all these cases belong in a whole different arena, and that does not include children or family court. They should abolish it. And I know many people say that. And here in California, um, we are trying to get through legislation which would mandate training for um, social workers, therapists, um, psychiatrists, psychologists, um, if I'm missing anybody out, um, anyone who's a mandated reporter of child abuse would be a mandated reporter of parental alienation, which is also child abuse, of course, because how could you think it's not child abuse when you remove one of the parents from a child's life? Mm -hmm. Even though that child is saying, I don't want to go there, in the study by the bar, uh, they said that 86% of children will say whatever the alienator wants to say. And so I was involved in stopping legislation here in California, which would have made um, children able to testify in court. Right now it's um, age 14, they can testify and choose who they wanna live with. And they were going to lower the age, I think, till 10 or 12. And um, so I mobilized a whole objection to that. And they worked with me and changed what they were proposing. Mm -hmm. So that didn't go through. But 86% um, of children will simply say whatever the alienator says, tells them to say. And I have worked with a lot of children where I've said, um, so why do you testify against your dad who's in the room or your mom who's in the room? And they will say, well, they'll mumble. Well, because my mom or dad told me that this is what I needed to say. Did you mean that? No, but I felt like I needed to say whatever they told me to say. You know, they're very ashamed of being persuaded to do that against their parents. And that's very sad. Uh, with this whole alienation thing, it's causing these children to become mentally ill. Oh, yeah. To become very depressed, often suicidal. Many of the children that I work with have been hospitalized and made more than one suicide attempt. And that is in therapy for reunification. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that has taken place before any judge says, okay, I'm ordering this kid into reunification therapy with the other parents. Mm -hmm. I mean, ideally, we want to get a ruling from a judge that would transfer custody to the other parent for 90 days. The alienating parent would not have any contact with the child, and we would revisit the um, arrangements at the end of 90 days. And I usually work out a plan for the alienating parent to start being integrated into their child's life. And it's a step-up plan 
where they first have to have monitored visits, then they have to, they can have like a meal with the child and then it will go on to a whole day. But usually it's monitored through that level. And if the child is continuing to be alienated, then we know that parent is contacting them somehow, which they do. And then at 90 days, the judge will rule again for another 90 days. You know, one mother got six months of no contact. Mm. She was such an awful alienator. She persuaded her boys to attack their dad and, you know, blood came out of his head. And yeah, I almost thought I had failed in that therapy, but we discovered how the mom was contacting the children and then the judge imposed a domestic violence restraining order and the boys are doing great now the whole family is doing great oh that's good uh it just seems when you've got a parent this emotionally lethal you almost seems you've got to just remove the child from that parent and give them to the target parent you do because the targeted parent is usually I would like to say always, because I think always, and in my experience, always, is the more healthy parent. Mm -hmm. I mean, being raised by a narcissist or a sociopath or even a, a psychotic individual is no picnic for children. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when they're adults, they will talk about what it was like. And they will talk about how they thought that the best thing was to go against that parent and just survive until they could leave the house. And, you know, some of them just couldn't survive and had to run away from that parent mm -hmm. and um, live with the alienated parents because they couldn't tolerate what was happening anymore. But that parent, the alienating parent, will treat that child the same way they treated you. Mm -hmm. There's no, they don't go to therapy because mm -hmm. they don't think there's anything wrong with them. And so they continue to treat the child just like they treated you. And I've heard some horrendous stories by children, you know, being physically abused, psychologically abused, you know, controlled. And they usually step into the parent who's left's role. So they're doing the washing, cooking, taking care of the alienator who characterologically is very dependent and that's what the parent who left had to do was take care of that parent so now they have the children to take care of them that is really sick yes it is but they are sick they are sick individuals who don't mm -hmm. go to therapy or they find a therapist through reflects them in some way and will basically kiss off on their therapy. Mm -hmm. um, I've been put in charge of therapists quite a lot and um, I will call them and they'll be very guarded and they say, oh yeah, he's working through this and he understands this and then I have a whole list. Well, do you think he understands what he did to cause this? Oh, yeah, but I don't think it was really his fault. <laughs> I think it was 50-50. And I always say, no, in parental alienation, it's more like 90-10. Mm -hmm. 
And I will say that every alienated parent I've ever met has been the nicest person. Whereas I'm dealing with the alienating parents on the phone and their lawyer, and they're awful. They sabotage every single meeting. They try to sabotage the therapy. Um, the four day, they try to sabotage. So I try to not deal with them or the lawyer because. And I have my own lawyer that I retain to deal with them because they're so litigious, you know, mm -hmm. and they're waiting for me to put my foot wrong so they can sue me or go after me or, you know, um, go after my license. So mm -hmm. they will try to annihilate anyone who is on the side of the alienated parents. Mm -hmm. I've found also with the alienating opposing we'll say parent and attorney that they will call the target parent vexatious litigious or litigious vexatious and that's gaslighting and they get away with this yeah. it's it's like they're teflon well that's why people need an expert witness because when you're an expert witness, you go through every document you can. And in my book, I talk about what needs to be provided to an expert. So all the court documents, police contacts, reports, um, CPS reports, um, references for the alienated parent who has viewed the marriage and seen what happened with the children. Um, and the expert can speak to that. They can say, no, and here's the proof. This alienator was the one who was harassing the targeted parent um, by filing one um, court move after another. So mm -hmm. it would be an ex parte where they would take them to court on, to try to get an immediate order now the judges are learning a little bit, you know, and so they deny them quite often. Mm -hmm. But an expert will point out the ways in which the alienator has harassed and, you know, stalked and all kinds of horrendous things, abuse the targeted parents. Mm -hmm. And what I do is I make a list of all the things that I pick up in the documents. And so I'll first prove parental alienation to the judge by using literature, you know, by using the documents. And, um, and then I'll point out that these are the ways in which this parent has alienated the children. And I just read the list off, which is very long. Mm -hmm. and show that this is all parental alienation. What about these judges when you're showing them that the other parent is, is controlling visitation? You know, a judge will order a parent to see the, the kid on, we'll say, Tuesdays, Thursdays from 6 o'clock to 8. And that parent will go to pick up the child. The lights are on. No one's home. Yeah. And then they'll tell their attorney this is happening. Then they'll go in for an emergency petition to tell a different judge what's going on. That judge has it together and orders, you better do this. 
But that alienating parent just goes on their merry way and there's no accountability. So what I do as an expert is I point out all the ways in which there has been contempt of court. And I make sure the judge understands that this alienating parent has no conscience, does not feel like they have to follow any of the court orders, and has been in contempt of court this many times. And in my report, I'll list all the dates in case they want the dates, because usually the opposing attorney will say, okay, well, give us all the dates. You know, I had to learn that mm -hmm. after a lot of experience doing this, is that they try to get you on the dates of emails and ridiculous things, you know. So now I make sure I know all that information so they can't impeach me based on me not knowing the date of an email or knowing the dates of contempt of court. But interestingly enough, um, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but um, one of my clients is an alienated dad. Um, he got a criminal attorney to handle all the contempt of court charges or occurrences. Mm -hmm and do it in family court and mm -hmm. i asked the lawyer like how's that going to work isn't the judge going to just throw this out and say this belongs in family court so you know we're not going to listen to a criminal lawyer about contempt of court but the lawyer says that it is a um, criminal action to be in contempt of court and the fam family judges have just ignored it but i think that this might be a tactic that people can use you know that have a criminal attorney there arguing that this person you know really should go to jail because he or she has been in contempt of court mm -hmm. so many times and has not had to answer for that. So I think that's a really good strategy and I'd like to see that happening. Mm -hmm. But I make sure the judge knows that this alienating parent is content in contempt of court, never listens to court. And I've even gotten documents where the children have said, oh, I don't have to obey the court. I don't have to obey the judge. So when they come in for the four-day intervention, the first thing I do is read out the orders and ask them why they haven't been obeying the orders. You know, do they think that they don't need to listen to the judge? And um, invariably they say, no, I don't have to. My mom or dad said I don't have to. But when, I, when they come into the um, four-day intervention, after the order is issued by the judge to move the children over to the other parent, I use a service called assisted interventions. Mm -hmm. And they are counselors who build a rapport with the children, let the children know that they're gonna be picking them up right after court with their belongings, minus their electronics, um, you know, mostly their mm -hmm. phones. And um, they're going to be transporting them to the other parent's house. And then they're going to be transporting them to my office. And they're great. I mean, the kids are not 
afraid of them, even though the alienating parent says, oh, my kids, they're going to be, you know, thrown into a van and transported. Mm -hmm. No, you know, they build a rapport with kids. And so kids like them. Mm -hmm. And so they come to my office with that service as opposed to the other parent, because if the alienating parent brings them to the office, it's a disaster. Mm -hmm. So I really recommend the service, even if you are going to pick the children up for visitation, use someone else, like a grandmother, someone Mm -hmm. that they would have a harder time saying, I'm not going to get in the car. Mm -hmm. If they're not at the house, um, some parents call the police, you know, they take their custody orders with them and the police usually will contact the other parent and say, bring the child over. Not that they listen, but then you have a repeat, you have a police report Mm -hmm. to show to the judge that, you know, the police say they even tried to get the children because they read the custody order. And that's pretty powerful evidence, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's hard because in some states, it, you'll show the police what, your, what, what the orders are for visitation. Right. Then yeah. what they'll do is they will call the DA on call. And their response is, we're staying out of this because there's a custody battle going on. So we're staying out of this. So then the police back off. And then, you know, um, I was told that uh, from my attorney that we really can't do anything to him because he's not a felon. He doesn't have a felony charge. Well, that's not true. You know, I find as an expert witness using the police reports, even if they were called and they said they did all this, calling the DA and the DA, they always say, oh, this is a civil matter. Every single state has a penal code which allows parents to pick up their children based on the custody orders. And they ignore it because, as you know, the most lethal situation is going into a domestic situation where there are children involved. And police are afraid to do that. So they need to be trained as well in parental alienation but having a police report is still good for the expert witness to go back into court and say this is this is how many times you know this parent has had to use somebody to get their children Mm -hmm. so it makes more of an impact that way so yes they do say this is the civil matter and i don't want to get involved but I do say to parents, okay, if they didn't let you have the children, let's go in on an ex parte. And Mm -hmm. if you work with a lawyer who knows PA, you know, they will do that. And if they don't do that, you need another lawyer (laughs) because unless there's a really good reason to not go in because you didn't see your children, you know, going back to court is a good thing because if the the judge will get annoyed and tired of the whole situation and demand that the alienator turn the children over. Mm-hmm. Would it just be easier for parents just to hire a criminal lawyer just to go into family court, just on, a, on starting out in family court? Just go to a criminal defense attorney. Very interesting. I have not heard of that being done, but it's a very interesting tactic. You know, I thought if I had to do it over again, 
I think that's what I would have done. Yeah, I would like to see someone do that. Mm -hmm. I think that would be a really good strategy. Uh, because, you know, I had taken how many re uh, police reports that the whole summer, the, the grandparents and myself didn't get to see the children. And my attorney was saying, just don't bother going back to the police. You know, you have all this paperwork, but, you know, just it's a waste of time. No, it wasn't a waste of time because like you said, Dr. Steinberg, you're showing a pattern. Yes, exactly. So the lawyers essentially failed my children and myself in this whole case as well. Absolutely, they did. Because, and that's something I talk about when I deliver my testimony to the court is because that oftentimes the targeted parent will, will be accused of some kind of abuse. And this actually happened with one of my clients. Um, her kid had been learning karate. And so when she tried to get him to go to bed, he started to attack her and use his karate chops and kicks. And the only place she could grab him was by the hair. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, as you know, this became a huge issue. They said that she was abusive, CPS was called, the police were called. Um, she was actually taken to jail and um, the child was removed from her for, I think, three years um, that she didn't see her child. So when I came on board, I showed the court that this is not abuse. You have to have a pattern of abuse in order for you to say that this is abuse. Grabbing a kid by the hair because they're karate chopping you is probably what you have to do, you know, mm -hmm. to get them to stop doing that. That is not abuse. And so now she has her child back and the alienating parent is not allowed to, um, visit the child or contact the child and you know it's going to be extended beyond 90 days now because you know the father has not gotten any therapy or and you know we keep finding out more and more things about what really happened in his house so mm -hmm. yeah well somehow like even before parents even go into family court they may be trying mediation and these attorneys think you know well let's make them go through co-parent counseling and that i don't think is um a great idea exactly and i don't even think mediation helps because usually um, the same judge that decided that there was no sexual abuse of this little girl is has now become a mediator. Well, he was a terrible judge, and now he's going to be a mediator in family court. He's never had any training because I asked him. And he, he said, no, but I've been a judge. And I said, yeah, that's not the same as being a mediator, because a mediator is objective and holds the goal up. So essentially the mediators are like cps you know they have way more power than they should have they make decisions which mediators should not do and every trained mediator knows that you don't make a recommendation to the court if you're a mediator so what was the second part of your question <laughs> well with these co-parent counselors oh yeah the co-parent well, you can't co-parent with a narcissist 
because when, when they're on that spectrum, they will counter-parent. So anything you ask for, they will make it their business to do the opposite. And I've spoken to many therapists who try to do co-parenting and just are so frustrated um, where they will end up meeting with parents separately and try to be a mediator themselves. But the bottom line is you cannot co-parent with an alienator. So that's just a waste of time and money. You have to have that order removing them from that parent's life. Mm -hmm. And that's oh, a very, oh, I'm know, sorry. Um, that alienators don't really care when the children are removed from their lives. It's really amazing to me. You'd think that they'd want to work really hard, you know, to see their children and get their children back. But invariably, they fail um, at the 90-day review, and they don't do the things that they should have done during that 90 days, or they've had contact with their child and ignored the court order. So, you know, they, it just shows how they don't seem to care as much about whether their children come back to them or not. It's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, they don't even seem to care about, even when they have custody, full custody of those kids, they really don't even care about their physical health or well-being. Yes, yes. Invariably, the targeted parent, when they get custody of the child, has to go to the dentist, do physical checkups, find out there was a break in their child's arm that the other parent never took them to the doctor for. I mean, unbelievable stuff. One, this little kid, all his teeth had rotted in his mouth, and he was five years old. Oh, how sad. Yes. I mean, there are kids, as I had told my attorney, I said, this, my one needs braces really bad, really bad. And the, the attorney said, the judge doesn't care. The yeah. judge just doesn't care about braces. Braces aren't a priority. Yeah. But that is a health issue. It is. It I, is. I just... I, I think family court should be abolished, get rid of CPS, get rid of the co-parent counseling, as well as some of these psychologists. They'll order family counseling, but the alienator will take the kids on the days he has the, the you know, he'll take them when he has the kids. That's and right. and what do you do with, and I think a, a lot of parents might want to know, what do you do when these alienators take their children to family counseling where the other parent is somehow not involved or called to be in on this. Mm -hmm. And they're reading court documentation, such as judges orders and things like that, that also causes anxiety to the child. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I just, I'm working on a case right now where this one therapist, there were about four therapists involved and um, one, just one therapist told the child that she couldn't talk to her dad in that manner and said that the, it was parental alienation. Well, the other three therapists, not trained in parental alienation at all, said the poor mom, you know, she is being mistreated by the dad and 
um, all these things that the alienators say and the children say. And so the judge actually listened to those therapists as compared to the one that really knew what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're trying to get mandated education here in California. We just talked to a lobbying group, so we're wanting to raise money to pay the lobbying group. But I think that once we get that taken care of, all the other states can follow suit and, you know, get that law in, which reminds me, maybe I can talk about this other law which mm -hmm. is um, about coercive control. It was, um, there is a law in Hawaii, California, and Connecticut right now, and the whole of the United Kingdom um, about coercive control. This was developed originally um, by a group associated with domestic violence. And so the bill was originally written to say it was for women because they were coercively controlled by the abuser. And it is a prelude to physical abuse and often lethal physical abuse by men toward women in domestic violence situations. However, when they removed the gender in this law, they did it without any input from us. Um, you can use this as um, proof that the children are being coercively controlled by the alienator. And that's what I've done because a lot of judges come in and say, oh, I don't want to hear about parental alienation. You know, I don't want to have that word used in my court. And I say to them, okay, would you like me to use coercive control? Because that's a law now. These children have been coercively controlled. This law is under domestic violence. And you can actually order a restraining, domestic violence restraining order, which requires a higher um, proof. Mm -hmm. Is that the right word for it? I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, domestic violence restraining orders are easier to um, get the police to act on than regular restraining orders. So I will ask the judge which word they would like me to use. Psychological abuse, emotional abuse, coercive control, and some people like the term domestic violence by proxy. I don't really like that term. It's a big mouthful. <laughs> but I do appreciate that coercive control bill. And it can be used in other states as well, because coercive control is pretty easy to prove that mm -hmm. these children are being coercively controlled by this other parent. So even though we have to get this other bill requiring education for all these professionals, in the meantime, I think using coercive control in the place of the words parental alienation, as ridiculous as that whole thing is, um, I think is um, a good way to go. I think so too. I yeah. think so too. Uh, and an alienator will be coercively controlling children and the other parents. 
Definitely. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. I'm so glad I had you on my show. And I, I totally thank you for your time. Oh, my pleasure. My now, pleasure. Do you want, or how do you have people contact you if they have any questions? Well, um, if they want to go to my website, which is lynnsteinberg.com, there's a way to contact me through my website. And my website has um, the ability to get redacted cases that I've worked on that use course of control so that people can use the briefs that I've written to write their own if they need to go pro per. Um, it has a lot of other information too. So um, they can contact me via my website. Oh, that's really awesome. And oh, and where can people find your book? Um, you can go to my website, mm -hmm. but it's on unbelievably 20,000 platforms. So you should be able to get it any way you want, you know. Excellent. Uh, Yes, but it is on Amazon, and I know they've sold out several times, which I'm very happy about, mm -hmm. um, because my book is different in the sense that it gives people lots of information and advice mm -hmm. on how to go about, you know, representing themselves in the court and with lawyers and therapists in a way that they can't argue with it. Definitely. You know, so I mean, I do recommend You're Not Crazy, Overcoming Parent-Child Alienation. And this was just published in 2021. And um, I'm glad it's doing very well. Do you think parents should get a copy and give it to their attorney and the judge? Yeah, that's happened. In fact, I've read briefs where they've used my language in the brief from my book. Good. <laughs> it from the book so i i was impressed that they did that so yes i usually give it to judges when i go in and say oh here's a free copy for you um because i and lawyers as well i send them a copy of my book both sides and um yeah usually they do use it if they want to make a case so even when they're trying to make the alienated parent the um alienator you know, they try to use my book, but I can usually catch that pretty easily. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I'm so very glad I had you on, and I would definitely like to have you come back on when you have time. Yes, I'd love to. I'd love to talk about the difference in treatment of alienated children and their alienated parents, um, how that's different from regular family theory, family systems theory, which all therapists are trained in, um, and how to do that therapy. I would really like to do that. Right now, I'm making a video series. Mm -hmm. um, it's called Victims of Vengeance, the Treatment of Parental Alienation with Parents and Their Children. And um, I'm also writing the book to go along with the video series. So I would love to talk about that because I think that it would help parents identify the wrong type of therapy and how to choose a therapist. I think that's a really important step because the judges always say, you know, go to therapy, 
choose a therapist off this list. And, you know, parents have got to go back to court and say none of these therapists know about how to do parental alienation therapy. So, yes, I'd like to come on and talk about that. Okay, that's great. Um, Don't jump off, okay? Okay, okay. Slam the Gavels, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms that in turn perpetuate parental alienation. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here real soon with Dr. Steinberg. She's coming back on and with other guests. Thank you again, Dr. Steinberg. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.